Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Glad to have you joining us online as well. Um, boy, what a blessing. Good to be together. So, on a Sunday morning, a couple celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. They were at the little church where they'd spent the better part of their lives, and the preacher called them up in front of the congregation and asked if they would be willing to say anything on a kind of celebrate this milestone that they were, uh, they were celebrating that morning. And the wife turned to her husband and said, you are tried and true. And the husband said, what's that? I didn't hear you. She said a little more loudly, you are tried and true. He said, well, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> this morning, <laughs> the older you get, the less funny that becomes, actually. This morning, we are going to talk about someone who was tried and found to be true. We're going to talk about somebody who was tested and certainly passed the test. How many of you recognize that, uh, that graphic right there? The television? Please stand by. Yeah. Congratulations. You're old. But, um, you know, I know it's summertime. Actually, I don't think it is summertime yet. I think it's not officially summer, but school's out and it's hot. So it certainly seems like summer in Florida. And I know you families, you parents, you students, the last thing you want to think about today are tests, right? Now, you were told a couple of weeks ago you took your final exam. Now, those, that's not true because we're always being tested and we're always taking tests. Um, and I'll say this, as a student myself, I was one of those kids who actually tested pretty well. I learned how to take tests, and not that I was smarter than anybody else, just I kind of knew what to study, and I knew how to study, and I'm also one of those guys that I always saw the benefit of tests. I didn't mind tests. You know, it it certainly kind of gives an indication of where somebody is, a student is, but also if it's a good teacher, and if it's a good test, it'll help you grow. It'll, it'll help you get to, uh, you know, aid in your development. And I know that we have several teachers here this morning. And anytime a teacher is introducing a new concept, one of the first questions that your student is going to ask is, is this going to be on the test? Now, growing up, there were some classes I loved. Uh, I, I enjoyed school. In some classes, I really enjoyed. I, I, I loved math, I loved science. But there were other classes, I only took them because I had to. I only took them because I needed the credit. And when someone in one of those classes, some teacher said, okay, I'm going to share with you this information, but it's not going to be on the test. Yeah, my first response was, and sometimes I actually said it, why? Why are you telling me this? You know... If this isn't going to be on the test, why would I care? I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to write it down. I'm not going to learn it because it's not going to be on the test. But if a teacher said, even a teacher I didn't like the class, if a teacher said this is going to be on the test, I paid attention. 
and I wrote it down, and I studied it, and I learned it, because I knew it was going to be on the test. This morning we are going to talk about one of the greatest tests ever given. We're still talking about Abraham, and I know we, we've jumped ahead almost every week. We're, we're on fast forward here. I keep telling you this isn't a month, several month series. This is a couple weeks series. But we're jumping up to almost the end of Abraham's life. But I couldn't skip past the test. It's just too significant. It's, it's too important. Genesis chapter 22. I want you to notice the first six words in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later. Now what that means is that for quite some time, things have been going pretty well for Abraham. For quite some time, Abraham's life has been pretty good. And again, we fast forwarded. You know, the son of promise has been born. Isaac is on the scene now, that son of promise. In fact, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 22, Isaac isn't a baby anymore. He's a, he's a young man. And, and he's a, a son that Abraham is very proud of. Uh, these are good years for Abraham. Abraham's longed for these years. You know, life is good. Abraham's life has been running very smoothly, which is always kind of a dangerous thing, because then without warning, God shows up and decides to give Abraham a pop quiz. And God actually does this, did this, and does this quite often. In fact, Scripture tells us that we should expect God to test us. In fact, Scripture actually says that we should welcome those tests. Take a look at what David said in Psalm 26. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and affections, for I'm constantly aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. Why does David want to be tested? Why does he say, put me on trial, cross-examine me, test my motives? Because tests reveal if faith is real. I use the phrase tried and true, uh, lady in my joke. Really, if your faith isn't tried, there's really no way to know if it's actually true. Kind of like the old saying about people in tea bags, it's not until they're in hot water that you really find out what's inside of them. That's actually a lot of truth to that statement. I'm going to reference again James chapter 1. I think I did it last week, but I'm going back to it. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles come your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. For quite some time, Abraham's life has been going along pretty smoothly. And God is wondering, is Abraham's confidence in his son? Or is Abraham's confidence in the one who gave him his son? So, the first two verses in Genesis chapter 22 contain an almost unbelievable directive given to Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, be sure you realize when Abraham hears this from God, he has no idea it's a test. You know, we read something that Abraham wasn't privy to. God didn't tell Abraham, I'm about to test you. This is just a test. All Abraham heard was, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Sacrifice him. By the way, the the concept of children's sacrifices was going on in the pagan world at that time. There wasn't anything new to the pagans. But Deuteronomy 18 hadn't been written yet. And so God hasn't really said what what he thought about that practice. Now read Deuteronomy 18. God abhors the notion of anyone harming a child. It's, it's incredibly interesting to me. and In fact, it's, it's a little bit unbelievable in this narrative. God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. And Abraham doesn't argue with him. Which I find mind-boggling. Because we've already seen in Abraham's life, he's got no problem arguing with God when he thinks God's out of line. We didn't talk about it in this series, but if you back up to Genesis chapter 18, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of its wickedness. And Abraham says, wait, whoa, God, no, you can't do that. Time out. And Abraham actually sort of argues with God, and then they start negotiating with God. So Abraham doesn't have any problem telling God, I, you know, this isn't right. In fact, in, in chapter 18, he said, won't the judge of the earth do what's right? Come on, God, you can't do this. Abraham doesn't approach God that way in chapter 22. Uh, he doesn't argue with God about what he's been instructed to do. But Abraham had to be wrestling with the question, how is God going to fulfill the promise if he takes away the promise? How is God going to fulfill the promise that he made to me if he takes away my son? Because my son Isaac is the promise. How is he going to keep it now? No, Abraham had ordered his whole life around this boy. You go all the way back to Ur the Chaldeans. uh, It was all centered on the promise. Now God is saying, I want the promise. (laughs) I want you to sacrifice what I promised you. And Abraham had to be struggling with that. Listen, I I know that you know this story. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, We could bring our smallest children in here, and they would probably know the basics of this story. In fact, uh, let me put a plug in here. You need to come on Wednesday nights to our intergenerational class. We're interacting with, you know, adults and our our, our younger kids. It is amazing what our younger kids know and how they can communicate it. It's it's fun, it's encouraging, but okay. Um, Genesis chapter 22 is where we are. I don't want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Preachers always say, turn in your Bibles. Don't turn in your Bible. Put your phone down, your tablet, whatever you're reading on. I want you to listen to the story, not for the first time, I'm sure, but I want you to listen to it and try to listen as if it is the first time you've ever heard it. Just listen as I read this account. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That is quite a story. And it's impossible to listen to a story like that about faith and not be inspired when it comes to our own faith. Because you and I are facing tests as well. Although, we're not going to be tested in the same way Abraham was. I don't think any of us are going to be asked to sacrifice a child. But we are going to be tested. And even though it's not exactly the same test, I think we have to ask the same questions that Abraham had to ask himself. So this morning, let me share with you just, just a couple of questions to ask as we're being tested. And the first question is this. Is my first response obedience. You know, Abraham knew God's voice, and Abraham understood the command. There was no ambiguity there. Abraham knew exactly what God was asking him to do, and Abraham had to decide, am I going to be obedient to this request, or am I going to try to find a way to put this thing off? You know, am, am I going to argue with God? Am I going to say no to God? Maybe postpone this thing? What if I rationalize it? What if I beg? What if I drag my feet? Maybe God will forget. Maybe God will change his mind. Look at the first four words of uh, verse 3. Early the next morning. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go to a place and I want you to sacrifice your son Early the next morning. Abraham understood obedience isn't something I can put off. 
I, I can't postpone this. I, I, I can't procrastinate here. You know, for most people, obedience comes a whole lot easier when we know what God is up to, right? When I can see exactly what God is doing, where he's doing it, and how he wants me to, to be and act and do and, you know, in the situation, okay, that's a lot easier to be obedient. It's tough when it doesn't make sense to me. And it's tough when I, I can't explain it. But doing what God tells us to do, being obedient, even when we don't get it, that's walking by faith, right? Amen. Not sight. Now, all of us parents, all of us children, know this exchange. A parent, you tell your child to do something. Um, the child says, Why? The parent says, because I said so. Yeah, you've heard that before, apparently. I vowed as a young parent. <laughs> I vowed I would not just say to my children, because I said so. I was not going to do that. I said, because I said so to my kids all the time. In fact, a lot of times, that's all they got from me, is because I said so. You know what? Sometimes that's all we get from God, because I said so. C.S. Lewis, uh, in one of his books, made the comment that he thought the, the most quoted word in heaven was going to be, oh. <laughs> and, and I think maybe he's right. Oh, so that's what God was talking about. Oh, so that's why that happened. Oh, so that's what he meant. Oh, now it finally makes sense. There are things that we do, and I'm not going to apologize for this. There are things that we do as Christians just because God said do it. Just because God said, here's what I want you to do. The reason why Abraham was so faithful was because he made a decision to do what God told him to do, even when he didn't know the outcome, even if he didn't understand God's reasoning. So, when you get a pop quiz from God, your, your first question you should ask yourself is, is my response going to be obedience? Question number two, do I bring my best to God? Consider again what Isaac meant to Abraham. He wasn't just a blessing. He, he was the blessing. No, his, this whole promise is around this boy, Abraham. He'd waited years for, for Isaac to be born. Isaac was the only son of his beloved wife, Sarah. And you say, well, how do you know that he really loved Sarah that much? Oh, he loved Sarah that much. First time we read about tears in the Bible, they're shed by Abraham at the death of Sarah. Abraham loved Sarah. And he loved his son, Isaac. In fact, the angel described Isaac as your son, the one you love. Isaac was the blessing. And every time Abraham looked at Isaac, he was reminded of God's presence, of God's power, of God's promise. You know, I, I don't know about you, but again, I, I find it much easier to give up something that God says is bad for me. Right? I don't always do it. But when God wants me to give up something that I know is bad for me, that's hurtful to myself or someone else, it makes sense to me. You know, okay, I get that. I don't ask why. 
But when God retracts our blessings, then our faith gets tested. Because after a while, we start to look at our blessings more like entitlements. And we start to think that God owes us an explanation if he wants some of those things back. God has been working on Abraham for a long time. He's been teaching Abraham. He's been been leading Abraham. He's been showing him things. And Abraham finally gets to the place in his life where he really has just one fear. Now, earlier in his life, he had lots of fears. But he gets to a place where he has just one fear, and his fear is displeasing God. That's his greatest fear. Abraham's fear of displeasing God is greater than his fear of losing anything, including his son Isaac. Now I know that you fear God. You are willing to let go of your best. Abraham makes kind of an interesting statement um, before we get to the mountain to his two servants in Genesis 22, verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then we will come back to you. Stay here with the donkey. Me and the boy are going to go over there. We're going to worship. And then we'll come back. You don't really get the sense that this is a devastated man on a death march. You don't get that vibe from Abraham. And by the way, this is the first time in Scripture that the word worship is used. The very first time the word worship shows up is when Abraham says, we're going to go to the mountain and we're going to worship. You go to the New Testament, the very first time the word worship shows up is in Matthew chapter 2, where the wise men come bearing gifts to the baby Jesus, and they ask, where is the child that we may worship him? Worship involves giving your very best to God. Abraham said, I'm going to worship, and I'm going to bring the very best that I have. I don't think we should ever dare expect God to accept anything other than our very best when we worship. And I'm not just talking about what goes on in these walls, although that is part of it. Now, we've been worshiping this morning. But too often we kind of sit in our pew and we say to ourselves, I don't like that song. And I don't like this format. And I don't like this style. And we, we kind of you know, hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length. We don't allow the, the, the Spirit to work in our lives. We just go through the motions. And of course the question isn't whether you like me or you like a song leader or the prayers are too long or the prayers are too short. The question really becomes, are you bringing God your best? When you worship, is God getting the best you have? When we're here together, when we're worshiping on a mountain, does God get the best you have? How dare I allow a song or a style or a worship preference to dictate what God's getting from me? Do I bring my best when I worship God? And then one last question. Do I trust in what I know? Or do I trust in what God knows? I think that the very hardest question on Abraham's test was the question that was asked by Isaac. Father, where is the lamb? And I think Abraham answered that question in a couple of ways, and I think his answers 
really going to reveal the depth of his faith. Look again at verse 5, where he tells his servants. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. Don't miss the, 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 the words that he chooses. While I and the boy go over there, we will worship, then we will come back to you. Abraham expects that he and his son Isaac are going to go up on that mountain and they're going to be obedient to God. And then he and his son are going to come down from that mountain. Now, understand at this point in Scripture, there has been no recording of God ever bringing someone back to life. Uh, the idea that God bring, would bring someone back from the dead is completely foreign to that culture in that time. But in a sense, Isaac's very existence is proof to Abraham that God can do things with dead things. Uh, let's flip over to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had told him it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham comes to the conclusion, I'm going to trust in what God knows, not what I know, because even though I don't understand why God is asking this, even though I don't see what's going on, even though I have never heard of such a thing, I am convinced that God will bring my son back from the dead before God would break his promise to me. Abraham is convinced that God would bring back the dead before he'd break the promise. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand it. He's asking for the promise. The boy is the promise. But somehow he's going to keep the promise. I'm going to get him back. And to Abraham, it made more sense that God would bring back his son after he was sacrificed on a burnt offering than to believe that God would go back on his word. And Abraham was right. Abraham makes this unbelievable profession of faith. Now, he came through for God because God had always come through for him. And in this, what Abraham confessed, his second answer to Isaac's question, you know, Father, where is the lamb? He tells the son, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. And while Abraham was telling that to Isaac, somewhere on that mountain, there was a ram who was walking up the mountain. Abraham and Isaac hadn't seen him, hadn't heard him yet. <laughs> while Abraham is building that altar, while he is preparing the sacrifice, that ram was in the process of getting caught in the thickets. God provided the lamb. Abraham knew something about God. And I'm convinced that Isaac learned something about God that day. On top of that mountain is the last time that Scripture records Abraham ever hearing the voice of God. And on top of that mountain is the first time Scripture records Isaac ever hearing the voice of God. Now, Isaac, I'm sure, had heard about the promise. Abraham had talked about the promise. His mother, Sarah, had talked about the promise. But now, Isaac hears God talk 
about the promise. Because Isaac was there when his dad took the test. Dads, moms, you want your children to be children of faith? They need to see you passing tests. They need to see your faith in action, in those trials, in those hard times. You know, those little bumps in the road, they're just kind of an aggravation, and in those times when the wheels come off. Your children need to be there, and they need to see your faith in action. Action. Let them see you pass the test. So, a couple questions. Am I being obedient to God? Am I bringing my best to God? Am I trusting God instead of trusting myself? And do I have the faith to believe that God will provide the lamb? And of course, God did provide the lamb for the sacrifice. He provided the lamb that saved Isaac. He provided the lamb that saved me. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God provided the lamb. And God did what Abraham didn't have to do. God did sacrifice his only son. God did sacrifice the son that he loved. And that day on Calvary, on that mountain, the swing of the hammer wasn't stopped. And the thrust of the spear wasn't stopped. Blood was shed. Jesus died. Jesus was sacrificed on a cross. God provided the lamb. And what God is asking from us is the same thing that he asked from Abraham. I want you to trust me. I want you to be obedient to me. I want you to respond in faith. The Lord will provide the lamb. In obedient faith, he asks us to respond to that gift. Okay, how do I do that? Well, I acknowledge who I am, and I acknowledge who he is. I acknowledge my brokenness, my, my sinfulness, my need of forgiveness. I repent of my sins. I confess Jesus as the Lamb of God, my Lord and my Savior. I submit to water baptism because God said to do it. And then I worship the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That's the gospel, according to Abraham. Listen, we've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. If you're in the audience this morning, there's something going on in your life, you just need the prayers of people who love you. Uh, if you meet us down front, there'll be some people here to, to, to talk with you and we'll pray about it. If you're online, there's going to be a link where you can access uh, a, a, a spot too where um, you can email us, get in touch with us, and someone will be praying with you and for you as well. If we can help you in any way, uh, come and meet us down front. Let's be standing as we sing.